Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. It was a karaoke bar in Syracuse, New York. Only karaoke, not private rooms, so the full, everyone there sees what everybody's singing. This is music critic Maura Johnston. It's set up like a rock club. Yeah. You walk in and there's the long bar on one side, and then you go into the ante room and there's a stage with two karaoke DJs and... You know, some songs did better than others. There were lots of uh, new metal songs that night. People did Corn and Seven Dust. It was a very wide-ranging night. Yeah. But when Lucky came on, that was the song that just broke the room down. This is a story about a girl named Lucky. That song. Yeah. That song. It was just a young woman who, you know, was really excited and very impassioned about what she was singing. When this young woman is singing the song, how does she start? And at what moment does she realize that she's won the room? I mean, at the opening line. It was just immediate. And it was all the way through the end of the song. And I mean, granted, you know, it's a room of people who are there to do karaoke, but that was such a special moment. Yeah. I feel like that song speaks to a lot of what Britney is about, right? Because it's about this girl who is a star, but, you know, feeling unfulfilled. And that, I think, those sorts of messages have been scattered throughout Britney's discography forever, right? And the fact that so many people were singing along with this, too. The Room, you know, was like young 20-somethings to people in their upper 50s. So it wasn't, like, bounded by a particular generation. It was everyone. (laughs) 
You're listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm Sam Sanders. And this episode, why Britney Spears' music will always, always be for everyone. The beauty of Britney Spears, whether it's belting out Lucky at karaoke or rewatching one of her music videos or just listening to the countless hits she gave us her entire career, the beauty is in remembering how much all of her songs were probably a big part of the soundtrack to your life. Britney's memoir, The Woman in Me, is out today. But for this episode, we are skipping the book and any drama it may contain. I want to just focus on her songs. And I wanted to see if parsing through her music, if that could help me land on like a central thesis or theory of Britney Spears. What she and her music mean and why. We're going to try. Let's get into it. Okay, let's start. What's your first pick? Well, it has to be Baby One More Time, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything about that song, the opening piano chords, the moan that she does, the sort of pouty yet curled lip lyrics, like that she's doing a pout and a sneer at the same time almost. I feel like it was such a commanding opening statement that you had to take notice of. And it still sounds so amazing. You know, all credit to Max Martin and his studio wizardry for just a pop song that stands the test of time. But I feel like it's a song that I don't think a lot of singers could really pull off because it's a song that is very dependent on that kind of minor key badassery, but also there's a woundedness in there. Yes. You know, I think that, like, that duality is present in her work from the jump. And the fact that also she was doing this music video that was very post-Madonna, if you want to talk about midriffs and everything, but also very much grounded in the teen pop ideal and teen ideal. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, amps up the emotionalism of the song, is that adolescent longing. Yeah. Well, and... She's having to thread a really delicate needle because this song is clearly seductive, but it's also a song about missing someone. And she's singing a song that kind of feels like it's made for an adult, but you know that she's like 15 or 16. And in order to be a successful pop star at her age and the way she looks, she has to do that in a way that doesn't offend anybody too much. Right. And like... That's hard. Yeah. I think people see that video and hear that song and want to act like it's easy because, well, someone else wrote it. And, you know, she's just doing these moves. But that kind of performance of self is really, really hard work. It's really, really hard work. I mean, I have larger questions about a society that expects that of young pop stars. But to the extent that that is the expectation, she did it. She did it really well. Absolutely. And it feels like her vocals were perfect for that. She couldn't have sung that song too strongly and still been a teen star. Mm -hmm. She couldn't have sung that song even more weakly than she sang it. She sang it just right 
to toe those lines. And if she was like a Christina Aguilera vocal powerhouse type, right, I think this song would not have worked as well. It wouldn't have worked. I mean, I suppose before we leave this song and talking about it, what do we make of the vocal fry that she employs in this song that comes to be a trademark of her entire career? When it started out, a lot of folks hated it. They hated it. Everybody hates innovation at first, right? <laughs> yes. yes. But I also think, you know, the, the, the other thing is that teenage girls, the way that they talk are always very derided, you know, mm-hmm. valley girl speak. The vocal fry is sort of the later generation version of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she helped usher it in. And she also was doing this at a time when the big pop divas were people like Celine Dion. There were nights when the wind was so cold. Mariah Carey. Whitney Houston had these super, super powerful octave jumping voices. Mm-hmm where she was getting the emotion out of a different range, but it was still working really well. Can I give you my first pick for a song that helps uh, set a universal unifying theory of Britney Spears? Um, Till the World Ends. Yep. I first heard this song... I want to say on like Sirius XM radio, I was in a rental car for work, driving somewhere in the West on like a long stretch of like desolate road and I just had whatever on. And this song comes on and right when it like drops kind of towards the end and then comes back up to the last round of oh, 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 oh. It hit me so hard, I remember slowing down the car without even realizing it. I was about to pull over because that hook was so hooky and that drop was so droppy and that (laughs) boom was so bammy. The first time I heard it, the song literally stopped me in my tracks. So I think it represents the way in which so many Britney songs had like larger than life hooks and choruses larger than life like pound for pound the number of great hooks she has is kind of unprecedented but also what i love about this song and what i think it explains in terms of a universal theory of britney by the time you get to that last oh 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 it's no longer britney's voice it's become a cyborg choir yeah you know ann powers has written about this as well she's said that britney spears is kind of the perfect cyborg um and she isn't the only one to believe that and i think it's really funny because i feel like that song is also britney spin on a couple of trends that were happening in pop at that point the sort of wordless vocalization which lady gaga had made really popular And also just the apocalypse, mm-hmm. which, you know, were very <laughs> popular. In the desert, yeah, steampunk, exactly. Fighting for their lives. Yeah. yeah. And I feel, you know, party until it all just goes away or whatever. And I do think that the chorus of that song is specifically just really potent years later. I can't take it, take it, take no more. Never felt like 
I do like the point that you made about her sort of surrendering herself to the cyborg choir, though, because I feel like the video for Holding Against Me, too, was kind of like that as well, where she became this kind of towering figure through the help of mm-hmm. technology. And so that was the femme fatale era, which was the very, you know, the second generation of her post blackout comeback. And I feel like that was kind of what was happening with a lot of that record. Well, and so much of Britney Spears' energy was like an embrace of the technology and an, an embrace of the augmentation. Yes. You knew that her voice was being augmented to make it sound as good or as robotic as they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And it was almost a direct rejection of the 90s rock and grunge that had come before her. You know, like she as a pop star ushered in the early 2000s, which was a direct rejection of flannel grunge rock. <laughs> it was her. It was her. She yeah. was the antidote to Nirvana. She was. Right? She was the American salvo against it. Coming up, we get into the Britney song that makes zero sense on paper, but is Hall of Fame levels good. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docuseries, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I did it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course.
what's your next pick? My next pick, we're going to go back a couple of years. We're going to mm-hmm. go to Blackout. Okay. And we're going to go to Piece of Me. Oh. Which is underrated. The song where she talks about being Miss American Dream since she was 17. It's her reunion with Bloodshine Avant, who produced Toxic. Mm-hmm. And it's also very much a rebuke of the paparazzi storm that was surrounding her. It also has some, you know, really cute lyrics like the derriere in a magazine, you know, where she <laughs> sings about that. And it's also similar to The World End, it's also very glitchy. Well, and it's like dropping octaves kind of robotically in the chorus Mm -hmm. even. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, experimentation with sound. But at the same time, she's sort of taking aim at her image. And I think that this definitely ties into the whole lucky discussion that we had earlier where she's singing about fame and, and letting people know. She might not have been on MySpace or whatever, but she's definitely, you know, being like, hey, this is what stardom is like mm-hmm. over here. And it's also, it's, it just sounds great. It has such weird little glitches. The gasp that sort of comes in every so often is so great. And I feel like it's just one of those songs that it was so odd when it came out. And, you know, but Blackout, yeah. It's, it's an odd an album. Odd record, but it's still It's sound- got Halloween spooky vibes. Yes. It, well, it's very like Nelly Furtado's Loose and uh, Future Sex Love Sounds. They had been kind of like in that hazy club place. Mm-hmm. But Britney was like in the inner sanctum of the club. How far along into her career is Britney at this point? You know, she's had a lot of personal drama, and yet she returns with this album that no one expects to have any hits on it, and then it does. Yeah. <laughs> like, even that is commendable, right? Right, right. And, you know, this was eight years removed from Baby One More Time at this point, I think, which is nuts to think about yeah. because it seems longer, yeah. right? So much happened she's in such a short so period life. of time. But I think that's partly because of the media environment that was developing. That sort of oversaturation of media means that time gets really compressed. And yeah, I I just think that Piece of Me, I think it's one of those things where she was really ahead of the game sonically. You want a piece of me? I feel like every pick, we're just kind of like, yeah, it's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's the thing. Because they're all so good. They're all so good. And it's the truth. It's the truth. My next pick is going to be, and you, you know before I even say it, Toxic. Of course. Toxic. It speaks to Britney Spears' power to make even the weirdest song work. Toxic is a weird song. Yeah. Toxic is a song in which the most memorable part of it is a violin hitting a riff (laughs) that has a tritone in it. A tritone. A tritone is the hardest musical gap for the human ear to make sense of. It's a flat fifth to the root of the scale. That's a really weird interval. Yep. But she took that interval... 
it becomes part of not even the sung chorus of a song, but just the little violin riff. And that's the part everyone sings till the end of time. And that only happens because Britney Spears makes the song so accessible with her vocals. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A like you should wear a I know I'm overdoing it here. It's just a song, but that's what no, I believe. No. That's what I believe. But by that time, it was completely enmeshed in the cultural fabric. Yeah. It was so instantly recognizable, and it was something that was on you know, the radio all the time. Even before radio was much less consolidated back then, mm-hmm. playlists were more had more texture, but Britney was still a mainstay on pop and adult contemporary radio, too. Mm-hmm. So she was getting it everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like putting her voice in these new textures. Also, I love, one part of Toxic that I really love is that choppy guitar that kind of drives everything along. That kind of, yeah. Because I feel like it it's kind of buried in the mix relatively, but it really adds to that sense of urgency. And that sense of, like, this is the James Bond spy movie theme from the future. There you right? go. I like that. Remember the video? How'd you feel about the video? Gosh, I love that video. I mean, it's... <laughs> I always think of it in just terms of scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, the the flight attendant scene, the, the just zooming. It just reminds me of zooming around a lot. She was on the move. It was in hyperdrive. It was in hyperdrive. It really was. It was kind of that era where, you know, we were in the future, kind of. We were in a perceived future, kind of a couple of years off Y2K. It's like, well, this is our future, huh? Mm, yeah. And she comes in and is like, no, there's a better way. There's a better way. <laughs> What's your next pick? I'm going to go a little sideways here and pick Me Against the Music. Oh, this is the single. collaboration with Madonna. With Madonna. That is. Yeah. Which album is that the lead single for? It's on In the Zone. People in the crowd, grab a partner, take it down. It's me against the music. Uh It's just me and me. Describe this song for folks who may not remember it. It wasn't one of her biggest songs. Me Against the Music, it's kind of this very tense duet between Britney Spears and Madonna. Where the two of them are kind of trading off these metaphoric lyrics about being, you know, subject to the ways of the beat. Madonna at one point calls out, hey, Britney. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Come over here. I got something to show you. (laughs) Hey, Britney. You say you want to lose control. Come over here. I got something to show you. It's so interesting because it it was really a torch passing, right? It was very Mm. much you are the next generation of pop stars who are provocative and young and navel bearing mm-hmm. and making really sort of next generation club music. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it speaks to how central she was perceived to the pop world. Cause I don't think there was another artist who at that point in Madonna's career, certainly she would have 
collaborated with. Oh, totally. Certainly in the years that to come, you know, she was collaborating with like Justin Timberlake and um, Diplo and other people. But I feel like at this point, it was Britney or bust because Ooh. that was the only sort of game recognized game yeah. move that she could make. This was this song comes after that iconic VMA performance where they kiss, right? Yeah, it was a month after the performance oh, wow. it was released. Oh. So could it hurt you when it looks so good? Their PR team knew what they were doing. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess um Britney pitched Madonna on the song during rehearsals for the VMAs. Whoa. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and that moment is so iconic, and it speaks to Britney as the heir apparent to Madonna so clearly that I remember the kiss, but I rarely remember that also Christina Aguilera was on that stage, too. She was. (laughs) I just remember Britney and Madonna kissing. Yeah, and she kissed Christina, too, I think. Oh, yeah, forgot about it. Yeah. (laughs) Forgot about it. So, yeah. Well, and I think that, you know... Look, Christina is amazing. Like we love, she has we put love. out some bangers. Yes. yes, but at the same time, it was it was Britney's world at this point, mm. very much. It just speaks to how crucial she was to the fabric of pop at that point. Yeah, that Madonna said yes. Yeah, because who does Madonna say yes to? After the break. Why Oops, I Did It Again is technically one of the most brilliant pop songs of our time. I've got one more pick. It is the song, Oops, I Did It Again. And I picked it because... I think people thought it was a bad song when it came out, but it was actually a great song. Mm -hmm. So Oops, I Did It Again is the lead single from her second album after the first one has sold like 10 million copies. And everyone is like, what's Britney going to do? What's she going to do? And she releases Oops. And in many ways, it's eerily similar to Hit Me. Same song structure. Almost same kind of tempo. And people are like, well, she's just doing the same shtick. She's not evolving. She's not growing. She just recycled her first hit. To which I say, that's totally fine because even the recycling of that first hit is still amazing. As a song, Oops is classic. You get to the point uh, towards the end of the song where she introduces this beautiful counterpoint. Counterpoint being the idea that there's a second chorus that competes with the first chorus at the same time, but instead of competing, they work well together. 
I argue the counterpoint at the end of Oops is one of the best counterpoints in pop music history. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. It's so commanding. It has that commanding sense of that the chords in Baby One More Time do, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the fact that it also comes in the context of this spoken word interlude with Titanic and the Titanic necklace and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Which speaks to her playful side. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. But wait a minute. Isn't this? Yeah, yes, it is. But I thought the old lady dropped it into the ocean in the air. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Oh, you shouldn't have. There's this beautiful article about the staying power of this song in Paper Magazine uh, by my friends Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding of the podcast Switched on Pop. They do this visualization where they lay the chorus on a thread. Then they lay the counterpoint. Oops, I did it again. They lay it over the chorus. And when you see how the words lay over each other rhythmically, it blows your mind. Like, Britney Spears with this song has done song lyric calculus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's <laughs> really good. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I I picked this song because it underscores for me how the greatest Britney Spears songs are actually some of the greatest pop songs we've heard in the last half century. Oh, I'm sure. not even kidding. I mean it. Yeah. I mean it. I mean... And even the song that critics said was bad when it came out, it was actually effing great. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing I think about a lot of pop music in general that that sort of pushes these boundaries, right? It's like, because it's unfamiliar, people at first can be like, what is this? And hold it at arm's length. And then over repetition and over realizing that this new thing that's unfamiliar is actually really great in X, Y way, that is what pushes pop forward. So we've talked a lot throughout this conversation on how Britney has performed technology through her voice, stripped away the humanity of her voice to make it even more accessible and danceable. But if Britney's craft represents, you know, this antithesis of the authenticity that grunge rockers and Nirvana was performing in the 90s, what do we call what Britney was doing? I don't want to call it inauthentic because it was authentic in a different way. But like, what right. do we call it? Cyborgian? Cyborgian. Yeah? Cyborgian. Yes. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is too, because she did have that rootability about her, right? Where you got invested in her humanity, even as her voice was really stretched and pulled yeah. by these technological innovations. Yeah. People are still very invested in her as a person. 
Um, even if it didn't seem that way during the really dark periods, I feel like the response to her slower songs, certainly to, you know, every time and its video are very indicative of how, even though technology has definitely abstracted her on record, the persona that is at the core of her music is still something that resonates really heavily with people. Well, last question for you. We've just talked about the music uh, right before this memoir is going to come out, which will be all about the drama. As this Britney week or several weeks of coverage of the memoir and all of that comes to us all, what would you urge Britney fans to keep in mind? I think just that the songs that we listed and more of them are still at the core of why she's such a compelling figure. And, I mean, the drama that's going to be brought up in the next couple of weeks, I think, is very analogous to the way that blogs and paparazzi machine kind of spun up, especially in the mid to late 2000s. But... That's all just heat and flash, and this is, there are things that have more of a staying power. Thanks again to music critic and writer Maura Johnston. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zen. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And let me tell you, I would love to hear him make a Britney Spears remix. I really would. And the executive producer of audio at Vox Media is Nishat Kurwa. Listeners, we are back on Friday with a brand new episode. It also happens to be the very last episode of this show into it, as y'all knew by now. But hey, it's going to be fun. I promise. Let's save the real goodbyes and some more laughs for Friday. Until then, go play Toxic on repeat. It's a perfect pop song. I'm right. Trust me. I'm right. Bye. Bitch.